Fundraising everywhere. 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 You need to add me in there. Welcome to the Fundraising Everywhere podcast. Over the next few episodes, we're taking a look at some of our favorite events fundraising on-demand sessions in celebration of our events fundraising virtual summit on the 31st of January. If you'd like to join us at the conference, you can use the promo code FEPODCAST to get 50% off. Yep, just head to our website and pop in FEPODCAST at checkout to get 50% off the events fundraising virtual summit in January. Enjoy today's session. My name's Sarah. I'm not going to waste too much time on introductions because we've got much more exciting things to get into. Um, but I'm a public fundraising specialist, so that's community events, individual giving, volunteering, bringing all of these things together under one umbrella so you are fully engaging with your supporters in the best possible ways. So let's start off. Let's get real for a minute. Cards on the table about the situation. Um, my brief for this session was about the cost of living crisis. So let's just take a second and acknowledge our reality. Yeah. Cost of things have gone up, okay? We're seeing that daily with our direct debits and energy bills and in the supermarket. Current data is suggesting that the average household's disposable income will be down by around 7% over the next two years. And yet people are still considering whether they can still give to charity. There's been some brilliant data shared. Infuse had some amazing stats. Um, I'll reference a couple of them here. Um, and their most recent report in 2022 showed that the numbers of people who were concerned about whether they could give or could afford to keep giving were increasing. So, yeah, and it also seems like it's getting increasingly harder to sign up people to our events. Um, the same report from Infuse showed that, you know, half of under 65s in previous years took part in a charity event. Last year, that was just a third. So want to acknowledge the reality that we're living in very briefly. And that's all we're going to focus on, on the doom and gloom. Because actually, what I really want to say to you is, don't panic. I'm possibly aging myself a little bit with this. I don't want to know if anyone doesn't know what that um, <laughs> what that picture is from. Please don't tell me, because uh, I will feel very, very old. Um, so let's look at some equally important and true facts. Interviews have also found, despite people saying that they feel nervous, actually, when it comes to their actions, giving levels are consistent. Around 75% of people had made a donation in the past three months at every quarter when interviewed them and got that data. And that was consistent throughout the year. This correlates with a really lovely report from a marketing professional, Pamela, who found that the same percentage of people, three quarters, place a greater value on kindness than on wealth or on status. Going back to Enthuse's report, you know, yes, 12% of regular givers had stopped or decreased their gift. But you know what? 20% actually increased their gifts. And many charities are reporting that their average gifts and fundraising levels are actually remaining consistent. They're not seeing massive, massive dips. So people don't always say, don't always do what they say they're going to do. And when push comes to shove, your donors and your supporters will stand by you. And it might not be every donor. You know, let's be realistic. Not everyone is going to be able to, but many, many more than you may currently be imagining. And we also need to remember, and I think this is a really, really important thing. We aren't all in the same boat. 
this is one of those things that we all said a lot during lockdown. But, you know, I sometimes hear a lot from charities some real sweeping statements around no one has any money right now. People won't give. No one's signing up to our events, et cetera, et cetera. But the facts are there are people who do still have money and have ability to give or to fundraise. There are still many people that even if they are seeing their finances tightened a little bit, urgently, passionately want to, excuse me, want to fundraise and support their charities. People are really passionate about the causes they care about. So we cannot make assumptions about our very wide and diverse groups of supporters based on media reports or our own personal feelings about the current situations. Remember, we are not our donors. And not to mention as well, we have history to go on. Um, some of us have been in the fundraising game a little while and may have seen a recession or two or three. Um, in the 80s, 90s and early 2000s, giving in the UK showed itself to be largely profession proof, recession proof. The value of donations uh, increased in times of economic growth, but they didn't fall at the same rate in times of economy. Good to me. Get your teeth back in, Sarah, during periods of recessions. And one area that is particularly recession proof is community fundraising. Again, think back to lockdown. Think back to how much during COVID we were all concerned and worried that, well, our communities can't come together, therefore they can't be fundraising. You know, sadly, many events and community fundraisers were put on furlough, team sizes were reduced, but so many charities still had money pouring in the doors. People couldn't leave their houses, so they were making face masks and hanging them from trees with donation pots. People were doing contactless bookstores in their front gardens. And that's before we even touch on the myriad of virtual events of the quizzes and comedy nights and many, many more things that were happening online from our own homes. People still wanted to give. Never underestimate a dedicated community fundraiser. So now we've got this really honest picture and the big picture stuff out in the open. We know we don't need to panic, Mr. Mannering. The sky is not falling today. So let's crack on with some really nice practical stuff. Um, some of these things have been uh, referenced in different ways throughout the day as we've gone on, which I was really, really chuffed to hear because it just means that multiple people know this stuff is working. So, you know, please do make sure that um, you're able to try and put some of these things that you're hearing from today into practice. Someone told me the other day about a fundraiser that described themselves as, uh, I'm an encourager. That's what I do. I'm an encourager. And I love that. How I've always described fundraising is I'm an inspirer. I inspire people to support. So that is our job as fundraisers. So now, before I ramble on far too much, let's look at some three really, really key important things that we're going to get through in less than 20 minutes. So first of all, power of experiences. A uh, Forbes article from a few years ago quoted a 20-year study from a psychology professor at Cornell that showed that people are happier when they spend their money on experiences, not possessions. This report said our experiences are a bigger part of ourselves than our material goods. We are the sum total of our experiences. And when disposable income is tighter, history shows us that we are much more likely to spend money on experiences and memories with our friends and loved ones than stuff. And we're seeing this in the current data. Eventbrite literally put out something just the other day that said there was a 53% increase on searches for experiential events. But we will be a bit more selective about what those experiences are. So what we need to do as fundraisers is think really carefully about the event experience we're offering our supporters and how we're competing not so much with other charities, but actually the for-profit events that are constantly popping up. 
So one of the key things I want you to think about is what do you know about your supporters or your audiences or your potential supporters? Who are you designing this for? Who are you talking to? You may need to go back to your data. It's really, really important to find out what your data is telling you. And as Nikki said at the top of this session, go and talk to your supporters. That is the best data you could possibly get. And in community fundraising, you are going to find out so much rich and valuable grassroots information by finding out these sorts of things. You know, what are people's values? What are their interests? What are their hobbies? Um, find out as much as you can, because we can't really afford to make assumptions at the moment. We need to know and understand our supporters and in better detail than age, gender, family status, jobs, etc. We need to create an experience that someone is going to value and want to spend their money on. So, you know, want to make sure that your events and community program is truly relevant to your audiences. So get creative. Some things I want you to think about. So this was a brilliant article shared by a lady called Leanne on LinkedIn recently. There's a thing called Pinterest Predicts. Pinterest is a social media uh, platform that in over the last few years has predicted upcoming trends by 80% accuracy. So please go and check it out and have a little think about, well, if these things are on trend, if these things are popular, is that relevant to my audience? Not everything will be by any means. You know your audience best. You know your supporters best. But use that to start some thinking and use it to overlay with what you do know about your supporters. And what else? You know, what is the something different, something Instagrammable, something that gives social media bragging rights? a celebrity, an exclusive location, a unique experience. Think about what assets your organization has, what connections you have that you could use to create something unique. How can you use food or drink as a selling point to create a moment, to create a reason why people would want to come to your event? You, know, you think about all those different crazy cocktails that themed bars have. I keep seeing them all over the place on TikTok and Instagram. Um, they're a real draw. People will go to that bar just to have that ridiculous 20 pound cocktail. It's got a building and lights and fire and Goodness knows what else coming out of it. Um, I also thought about the Yorkshire pudding wraps that were everywhere over Christmas. I didn't actually get one, but I knew they were very, very popular. Photographs and video opportunities. If we're spending money on creating experiences and on creating moments, then we're going to want to capture those moments, right? So think about what you can offer that is above and beyond people taking their own selfies with their phones. Um, I went to a secret cinema Back to the Future event and you had to lock your phone in the back. There was no photos. They were smart. They sold analog um, disposable cameras for far too much money for about seven photos. But you bet I bought one because I wanted my memories of that day. And it was actually really fun using an old school camera. Um, what else could you do? Could you have video or photo booths or props? Can you have selfie stations? Uh, Children's Hospice I worked with once had a, an evening with type event with a celebrity. And one of the activities they added in was um, make a donation to take a selfie with a celebrity. This took us an extra 20 minutes of the event when people were coming in anyway. And when I say those ladies were throwing money at us <laughs> to make sure they could have a selfie with this celebrity that they've traveled to come and see, it was amazing. I've never seen so much money raised in such a short amount of time. It was absolutely fab. So really think about how you can make that event an experience. And in addition, one final thing to think about is we need to ensure that our events price points are a real balance of Yes, ensuring it makes money for your charity and in a comfortable range for our identified audiences. But remembering we're not all in the same boat. Actually, you might find you've got some different audiences in there and you could offer a you know basic ticket, a deluxe with additional opportunities or a VIP with luxury add-ons. 
Therefore, you're tailoring and targeting two different audiences, two different price points where people can still come and have that wonderful experience of your event. But those who have the ability to can also add on those added extras as well. So next thing, I want us to really think about our supporters, why? And, you know, this is so important because often our supporters will tell us really clearly why they're taking part in an event or why they've chosen to fundraise for us. We know that over half our supporters choose, you know, fundraise for charity as a main motivation. And that's massive. But let's dig into that a little bit more and really think about why and types of motivation. Everyone's motivated differently and sometimes we're motivated differently in different circumstances. Your marathon this year might be motivated differently to when they ran it three years ago for you. Um, and in many cases, we feel like we may implicitly understand our supporters why and because we know it's due to a personal connection. But it's so key to actually dig into that a little bit further. What is your supporters' personal connection? Why is that so important to them? What motivates them? What is their story? And most importantly, how can you as a fundraiser help them to tell that story? Our stories are unbelievably important in our fundraising. And not just in fundraising, through our connections, through our human bonds that we have. Stories help us to explain the inexplicable and make sense of our world. They help us to make order out of chaos, pass on valuable lessons and information, and explore and share the depths of the emotions that we feel as these complex creatures that we are. Storytelling in itself is an experience, whether you're the one doing the telling or the one listening. Stories help us to build, build bonds, connect us to our communities through information that is interesting, useful, or entertaining. Stories also provide an emotional shortcut in our brains, helping us to make a decision based on emotion rather than the much slower logical side of our brain. So I think it's fair to say that we all understand the importance of connecting fundraisers back to our work, and the importance of using stories and quotes, photos and videos to show the impact that the money being raised is making to, um, to your charity. And we do that through our stewardship journeys, emails, phone calls, thank you letters. But those stories that you're giving your fundraisers don't always necessarily reach the people who are actually going to give the money, who are going to sponsor their friend or who are going to come along to their fundraising activity. So first and foremost, make it really easy for your supporters to tell your charity's stories. Give them really simple quotes, give them social media graphics, give them some template text they can copy and paste that they can share easily. Ideally, try and tailor that story to something that motivates your supporter. If your charity does a huge amount of different work, uh, and you're talking about this bit over here, but actually what motivates me is this bit over here. That's the story you need to go and find and give to your supporter that they will share forward. And secondly, help your supporters to tell their story. We're not all born storytellers. Some people find it really, really hard. And especially if they're put on the spot to write text for a fundraising page or to talk to their friends or family. But it's so important because we know that our supporters are feeling really nervous about asking their friends and family for money. So that's where we as fundraisers need to use our skill sets that we're constantly flexing as fundraisers, as storytellers to help our supporters tell theirs. When you make a welcome call, for example, and ask your fundraiser, what inspired you to sign up today? What inspired you to fundraise? And your supporter tells you this beautiful emotive story about why and their personal connection. Take some notes. And then when you send that follow up email to that supporter, include a few of those quotes. Tell your supporter, I was really inspired when you said this. Please do include this in your fundraising page. It will inspire your friends and family to give to. And make sure your supporters are tailoring their pages with the photos, with their stories, 
and make sure they're regularly updating it with stories of their training and their fundraising. Because that really embarrassing moment where they tripped over a log and cut their leg and their run went wrong might well inspire some feelings of sympathy uh, with their friends and family. And that might elicit them to give in a much more subtle way than the please donate to my fundraising page. Okay, I'm trying to whiz through. I really want to get through everything. Very briefly, I'm going to tell you this lovely story of Catherine. Catherine was a beautiful woman who sadly lost her battle with cancer uh, in autumn last year. Now, Catherine was a really keen crafter and twice a year she would come along to this crafting event where about 60 women would come together and uh, do crafting over a whole weekend. And at every event we would do some fundraising for a large national charity, a really simple raffle. It raised 150, 180 quid. Beautiful. When Catherine died, we were all inspired to say the fundraising this year is for her hospice. Because it wasn't just the hospice that cared for her. She'd worked there. She talked so passionately about that hospice over the years. And when I say fundraising exploded, I mean it exploded. We didn't raise twice as much, four times as much, anything like that. We raised 10 times as much from that fundraising because people came forward and said, I want to do this. When people came forward and said that in a Facebook group, that social proof inspired others to want to do that as well. There was a professional fundraiser in the group who was encouraging the target up and up as well. I was like, we can raise 500, we could raise 1,000. And people were nervous. They were like, oh, but at the moment, no one's got any money. I'm really nervous. But people rallied around. A lot of women in that group, me included, hadn't actually necessarily spent a lot of time with Catherine. I'd only met her once. But I gave, and I gave very generously to that fundraising, more so than maybe other charities that I would have more of a personal connection with, because of the stories I heard about her through my friends. Your stories are so, so important. Encourage your fundraisers to find their stories and tell it because when they tell stories in a genuine, emotive, connected way, it will inspire their friends and family to want to give in a more generous way than simply, oh, you're doing a nice thing for charity. That's good. Here's, here's a donation. Yeah, Catherine's awesome. And the final thing I want to talk about in this session today is that we all know stewardship is important and a key part of our fundraisers, um, key part of our role as fundraisers. But why? Simply put, because when we connect with our community and bring them along this stewardship curve, they will go from being interested to being truly having true ownership of that fundraising for our charity. This is our job as fundraisers, to use our stewardship to bring our supporters along this curve. And the thing is, our time as fundraisers is really, really precious. And I want us to think about the 80-20 rule. 80% of our results are gonna come from 20% of our efforts. So when your time as a fundraiser is unbelievably precious and you need to get the best results for your time for your charity, really think about how you're gonna get that 80% of your income from 20% of your time and effort. And what I want you to think about is tiering your supporters to ensure your biggest effort is going to your top 20% of supporters that are either going to raise the most or have the biggest connection or the greatest long-term support for your charity. Now, this really does not mean that those who are not raising those big levels are not important. They absolutely are. Every single supporter is important and they're valued and that should be shown in their stewardship. So that baseline stewardship journey should be absolutely beautiful. It should be absolutely stunning using pre-planned materials, using automation, batching tasks, make it multi-channel, include virtual, include social media, include phone calls, include posts as well as email. And really importantly, map that out. Map out your stewardship and communications plan with your participants with as much care and thought as you put into your events logistics. 
top tips, stories, social proof, sharing what other supporters are doing, all of that should be in your baseline journey that every supporter gets. And that should be pre-written and automated. Then you start adding on those special sprinkles on top, that fundraising magic, that major donor-esque care. And this principle can work across DIY fundraisers, campaign, product fundraisers, challenge event participants, whatever it might be. Using this format and template is going to really, really help you focus your timing on what is most important. And this is a really simple um, scoring template that you could help you to think about what tier your supporters might fall into. You might find that at your charity, this varies um, massively. You might find it varies by activity or by fundraising activity or by event. But think about what those categories are. What are the most important things for understanding your supporters' potential? What does that score need to look like? Is it one to five? Is it one to ten? Whatever it might be. Within that, you know, what's that fundraising potential look like? Those amounts look right for your charity. Adjust this as needed, but really do think about who are going to be those supporters that go into those top categories that you're going to give that little bit of fundraising magic to and who is going to fall into that category where that baseline journey is going to be absolutely beautiful and awesome and will still encourage them to raise as much as possible. And be flexible with it as well. Remember your supporters can definitely move with upwards within those tiers. If you've initially scored someone when they're getting a beautiful baseline awesome journey and then through your stewardship, through a phone call with them or through your emails that back to, that they're sending back to you, you discover, oh, well, actually, they should have been a tier two or a tier three. Great. Move them up and start sprinkling that fundraising magic on top there. OK, I really whizzed through that and I skipped a couple of things that I wanted to say so I could make sure I got to the end and cover all of this in the detail that I wanted to. But the top three things to take away. First and foremost, you need to create an experience for your supporters. In a cost of living crisis where money is a little bit tighter, what will make your supporter choose to value this event or this fundraising activity that you're putting on? Secondly, understand your supporters' why and inspire them to tell their story in an emotive way. Not only are our supporters going to be more cautious about asking friends and family for money when there's a cost of living crisis, but actually stories bond us, stories connect us, stories make us feel good. This is a brilliant opportunity of continuing that feeling of connection and community, which is so, so key when times are a little bit tougher. And finally, your stewardship is never more important. Tier your supporters to use your time as wisely as you can and make sure that all of your stewardship baseline journeys is beautiful and gorgeous to ensure that um, they're all encouraged to raise as much as possible, but that you're focusing your time on the higher tiers that are going to raise that a little bit more and be super duper special. Thank you so much for listening to the Fundraising Everywhere podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not share it with a fundraising friend? And if you would like to give us a little like or subscribe, it really helps more fundraisers like you find us. Thank you so much. See you next time.